cool video, huh? Yeah, I love the Bible Project. You can check them out on YouTube. So it is totally fine if you, you know, were not born Christian or you didn't grow up in this way. But how many of you that maybe did grow up in a Christian household, how many of you had your own Bible that had your name, like, embroidered on it? Raise your hand if you had your name on it. Okay, very cool. So many of us are aware, actually independent of your worldview, many of us are aware of stories from the Bible. Many of us are aware of stories from the Bible. We know Bible stories, but we don't necessarily know the Bible story. Like, again, regardless of your worldview, you might have heard of something like a Noah's Ark. You might have heard of a flood. You might have heard, you know, of a serpent. You might have heard of Jonah. You might have heard of some of these ancient Jewish uh, stories. You might have heard of Jesus, but you might know Bible stories, but many of us might not know the Bible story. So, if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's easy to discount the stories in the Bible. If you don't know the overarching, high-level story in which God, a divine being, is working through the dawn of creation, dawn of humanity, the creation of humanity, all the way through. Like, if you do not see this story, if you don't see the Bible story, then it's easy to discount, really, a fish swallowed a guy? A worldwide flood? I don't think so. Somebody rising from the dead? Uh Uh-uh. It's easy to discount the Bible stories if you do not know the Bible story. Let me go back. I didn't even say this. I'm excited about this new series that we are starting today, a five-part series titled Opening the Senses, and the subtitle is The Complexity and Nourishment of the B-I-B-L-E. Now, that's the book for... Very good. So that means you went to Vacation Bible School. At some point, you have heard that. So this is what we will be talking about for the next five weeks. Let me move forward a little bit. So what on earth is the story behind this nice leather? I just bought this, by the way. So this very nice leather-bound Orthodox study Bible. I'm not uh, advertising it, but there are some at the connection table, but. How on earth did we get this? Like, why have so many people died for this? Why have so many people said, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. Why has this become the most unifying, but at the same time, divisive document in world history? And how did we get, like, this is all nice with chapters and numbers, and I got even an icon in mind. Like, how did we get it go so nice like this, and cross-references, and it's not, like, how did we get, like, how how on earth, 2,000 years later, longer. How on earth did we get this? Like, how did all of a sudden we come to this fancy book that has been put together? Maybe some of you have been raised that if the Bible says it, that settles it. Many of you might have grown up, well, what, mom, dad, why can't I date? The Bible says. Uh, Why can't, the Bible says. And that's, maybe that's all you heard growing up was the Bible says it. And you're like, Okay, and, and then that's it. You Maybe you have been wired saying, well, if the Bible says it, then that settles it. Then what happens later? And this is a, a current phenomenon that's happening in post-Christian America. Let's say I grew up that way. I grew up in that, that model of, of Christianity. Then all of a sudden, I come across something in the Bible that a, God commanded a violent war. People died. Like, God allowed this to happen. I think I'm done with this whole thing. And there happens to be a deconstruction that occurs, that everything is thrown out the door. Then all of a sudden, just because the Bible says it, man, I came across that story of, of, of a fish swallowing a guy. I came across, you know, 
the weirdest stuff and all this violent stuff. You tell me that's in the Bible and I, that should settle it just because the Bible says it? Uh-uh. And so many people end up just throwing the entire Bible out the door. What if this does not begin with the words in the beginning? What if this entire collection, as the video said, what if this book, which is not really a book, it's a library, a collection of poems, wisdom, records, historical events, revelations. So if this is a collection, if this is a library of so many books, this does not begin with the words in the beginning. This is not where this begins. The centrality of this entire library of ancient documents in which now we title being holy divine scripture, it does not begin within the beginning. It is all centered on a rabbi named Jesus who then became to be revealed and made extremely clear that he is the divine in flesh. And this is the centrality. What pushed early Christians and even people throughout history, why did it push them to put into and to bind this all together? What pushed them to put the, all of this, all these collection of books and poems and, 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 and all, what pushed them to put this all together was a person named Jesus. And I want to share with you, it's because of this person, Jesus, is what drove so many historians and research papers and skeptics to go all in to document who on earth is Jesus of Nazareth. Just to give you a little snapshot, and this is just an intro for the next five weeks, but I just want to share you, how did, don't call it gospel, how did the record of Jesus begin? We, okay, in the, first, in, the, in the first few centuries, it wasn't titled gospel yet. It was, it was this document. I want you to see how this first document begins. St. Paul, St. Luke, I'm sorry, St. Luke, a physician and, and, and really smart guy who really wants to do comprehensive research. How does he begin this record of Jesus's life? How does he begin his record? Again, not, not gospel yet, but the record of Jesus's life. How does he begin? He says this, many have undertaken. So let me just reiterate this. I've talked about this verse so many times because this is critical for us to become followers of Jesus intentionally. When you and I talk, we talk very casually and say, like, everybody was there, man. Every, like, there was tons of people, many people were there. We talk in an exaggerated way. That's the language. But for him, this Jewish mindset guy from the first century, when he's saying many have undertaken, it's not like, he's not exaggerating. He's saying, literally, tons of people have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's like, so many people have tried to document. So many people have tried to do their thesis paper. So many people have tried to do comprehensive research. So many people tried to interview tons of people to, to collect all the moving parts and events that occurred, all the things that have undertaken, that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He's, he's saying so many, so many people have tried to, to write down and collect everything that happened with the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm trying to, to capture things that have been handed down to me. And I want to pause and, and, and on, why, on why St. Luke, this Jewish man, is making a big deal of saying things that have been handed down to us. This is an integral theology and thought to the mindset of the first century church. Things have been handed down. Things have been handed down from Jesus to the 12 disciples, to the apostles, to, to the disciples of those apostles, to the disciples of the disciples of the disciples. Things have been handed down. And the, the fullness 
of our pre-denominational church is nothing that has been invented, but it's something that has been handed down. And I don't know Arabic, but I know the Arabic word for handing down, which is what? Taslim. Did I say that right? Taslim. Taslim. So Taslim means you're passing down. So even when I was in the monastery, they, they, they told me, like when you become a priest, me said this. When you become a priest, you have to spend 40 days in the monastery. So when I was in the monastery, the monk told me, I'm not going to teach you anything. I'm going to hand down. I'm, go I'm going to taslim you. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. I'm going to hand down to you what, I, what has been handed down to me, I'm handing down to you. So it's not teach. And in the same way now, and I say this with, with humility, I'm not teaching you. I'm handing down what has been handed down to me, what has been handed down to the bishop, what's been handed down to the, the person before that, handed down to those 12 skeptics of Jesus who their life was radicalized and transformed because they embraced the love of Jesus. And this is the, the, this is the continuity and what should make us proud of being Orthodox Christian, regardless if you're not all bought into Orthodox Christianity, totally fine. But at least for me, what makes me proud to follow Jesus in the first century tradition is there's nothing new. It's what's been handed down. St. Luke continues. Let me kind of re, uh, review myself here. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he's saying, I'm going, many people have done this. I'm trying to do research and interview tons of people who are first eyewitnesses. With this in mind, since I, Luke, myself, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And many historians would say Theophilus was a very wealthy, rich Jewish man who funded St. Luke to be able to write um, this research paper on the life of Jesus. So St. Luke continues on. This is his opening statement of the document in which we now know as being the gospel according to St. Luke, but then he's just doing his thorough investigation on who on earth is this man named Jesus, who now I know, he's beginning knowing that Jesus is God and he has changed my life. He is the fullness of life. But he's just now beginning, again, he's very cerebral in his thought. He's very Jewish in his thought. And so he's, he's, he's writing down facts. So it's very scientific-based. It's, 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 it's boom, boom, boom. This is how the style that St. Luke writes, his record of his investigation of Jesus' life. You can look at this physician, St. Luke, you can look at his writings in two volumes, the Gospel according to St. Luke, and then he wrote like a second volume talking about the drama and issues and the highs and lows of that first group of, of Jesus followers. And this is in the book of Acts. And he writes this in the book of Acts. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. So he's recording that like what we, what we witnessed and what we investigated, like this is the fullness of life. This is not just another guy saying that he's the best and he's God. No, what we experienced and we saw with our own two eyes, the reality of death, corpse, and then a few days later, life. And I had breakfast with him the next day. Like, this is a reality. And I'm, 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 I'm sharing with you my unbiased investigation, thoroughly investigating everyone who were witnesses of this reality. A question I want you to wrestle, at least for week one. Again, you're, the, the disclaimer I'm always going to put, regardless if you're all bought into the BIBLE, 
or you're a skeptic, regardless of where you are, why have so many people paused their life and, done, and did a full investigation on who Jesus is? Why did so many people, like why did St. Luke begin saying many people have investigated? Why have so many people tried to capture as many facts and evidence of the life of Jesus? Why? Maybe there was something more to this rabbi than just an inspirational teacher. Maybe there's something more to his life than just being so, so many people are attracted to him. Maybe he is the reality to restore humanity. So the question that you and I should wrestle, why in the first century, why in those first few decades, so many people like just went all out to try to learn everything possible on the life of Jesus. A first eyewitness, St. John, and I love him so much and, and, and I love his style of writing. And St. John, a young guy, kind of interested in Jesus, he goes all into following him. Near the end of his life, you know, the guy is in a retirement age, he's in his 80s, he is sitting on, on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. He is like, he's, and so many people are nagging him, saying, John, are you kidding me? You witnessed so many things with Jesus, and like you've told us all these great stories. You told us over coffee, you told us amazing things that you experienced. You told us about that amazing thing he did with, with his friend Lazarus. You told us about all these cool things that Jesus did. But come on, John, you're kind of getting old in your eyesight. Can, can you at least record this stuff before you, before you die? We want to make sure that we have this record of you being a first eyewitness of Jesus himself. We want to make sure that we hold on to this. So St. John spends time to write down everything that he experienced with the life of Jesus in this record in which we now know being titled the gospel according to St. Luke. And this is how St. John ends this record, his documentation of him kind of just spilling everything that he experienced with Jesus, his savior. He ends it with this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, including me, John, which are not recorded in this book. Pause. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, including me, which are not recorded in this book. He's saying, I'm only giving you like the essential things for you to understand that he was not just a phenomenal guy, that he is the divine in flesh. He is the, the fullness of life. But there's so many other things not even recorded in this book. I don't have enough time. I'm losing my eyesight. I'm kind of done writing. My hand is getting tired. I don't have enough. There's not enough. I, I ran out of papyrus paper. Whatever his reason was. But these are written. The things that I've already read out, everything of us, he's writing the 20th chapter. By the way, there's no chapters yet, right? He, there, there's no, that, that doesn't exist yet. In, in the, there are chapters and verses. But he's, this is the end of his record. But these are written that you may that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He's saying, I've written just enough for you to understand and for you to be bought in. And I, I've, I've, I've added enough details and enough events, but there's so much more I just can't right now. But enough, uh, everything that's already recorded in this record is enough for you to know that he is God. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life. You're not going to find life in the, all these other things that come and go. But if you really want to find the fullness of life, you have to understand that Jesus is the fullness of life. He is the fullness of humanity and divinity in one in order to restore us. So this is how St. Luke records. And that's how kind of he ends his record, in which we know being titled The Gospel. Some people tell me, and I'm sure you've heard it too. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. it. Cool. That's you. You do you. I do me. That I, I don't believe it. 
my question to, the, to that statement is, what is it? And maybe if you are this question, if you're asking yourself, I don't believe it. That's totally fine. I totally respect it. But the question I want you to ask yourself, what is it? Like, you don't believe it. What, what, don't, what don't you believe? Like, th- th- these are investigations from different angles, from different personalities. And it's not like they all sat together in a room and they said, okay, hey, John, you're going to write this? Okay, cool. Um, Luke, I- I'll write this. M- let's make sure that we don't say anything different, right? It's not like there's evidence of showing that these are separate re- records and separate accounts of them recording the same reality. So when you hear someone, or even if yourself, which is totally fine, I don't believe it. Ask yourself. What is it? Because it is the it in which these followers of Jesus went from being skeptics to being all in. It was the it in which they gave up their life for. It was their it that transformed them. So what is the it in which you do not believe? These records, these records, I'll put it this way, these documents, went from being valuable and reliable to sacred and inspired text within a very short time. These documents went from being valuable and man, if you, if you were able to, if you were living in the year, you know, 80, 90, uh, you know, 150, if you were able to get your hands on, on a copy of what St. Luke, the physician, was able to write, man, you hide that under your rug, you, you hold on to that, that precious, and then you are telling other people at the grocery store, hey, guess what, yeah, yeah, Luke, I got, I got, I got a copy. You wanna come over? You, ha- you held on to that thing. That thing was precious because you had the, 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 the research paper of the life of Jesus, you held on to that. If you were able to get a copy of what St. Paul was able to write to Thessalonica, Greece, or to Rome, you were able to write, if you were able to hold on to that, you were able to get a copy of that, man, you held on to that with your life. It be, it went, these documents went from being valuable and reliable to being sacred and inspired scripture. I'm not even talking about all the records. I mean, I, I, I feel us being St. Mark Church, I can't skip the gospel of St. Mark. Here's St. Mark, a young guy who was kind of like seeing things as a first eyewitness. He was there at the Last Supper. He was kind of there in the garden. He was around. But as he got older, he ended up bugging his friend, St. Peter, Mr. Loudmouth. He interviewed Peter tremendously. And he said, Peter, you got to tell me. You got to tell me what happened. What happened next? What happened next? And, he, and all his research that he got from his friend Peter, he ends up recording it, in which we now, that document being titled, The Gospel According to St. Mark, our patron saint of our church. So these documents went from valuable and reliable to sacred and inspired scripture. It went from being divinely inspired. 270 years before we have the B-I-B-L-E. 270 years that the early followers of Jesus understood that this is being holy in divine scripture. And they began to thread these documents, the gospels. They ended up trying to thread it with the Jewish Bible. This, all of this is way before we have something titled the Bible. The early church, and I always love asking, we finished membership group, and the question I love to ask membership group is, what did that first Sunday look like after Jesus ascended? After Jesus left them? What did that first Sunday look like for those disciples, for those followers of Jesus? Were they like, so what do you guys want to do? Like, what, 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 what was that first Sunday like? They came together to break bread. We see that documented in St. Luke's record in the book of Acts. We see that they also came together to read scripture, Jewish scripture. And then as 
the, the, the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, and began to spread beyond the Mediterranean Rim, it became part of their communal, corporate, liturgical worship. And now for us, 2,000 years later, an integral part to communal liturgical worship is reading scripture. And I want to share with you something very cool, at least for me it's cool, is this liturgical expression. So something unique to, to the ancient church, that there's always visuals that point to something invisible. There's always visual expressions of an invisible reality. So this right here is, is we title it the gospel, because in this golden box is the gospels, are the four gospels. And we treat this in liturgical worship with tremendous reverence. Not because it's a black box, not, not, not black box, <laughs> pilot stuff, not black box, gold box. Why, why, we, why, why do we give tremendous reverence to this golden box? Is to remind us that life is in these texts, which are reliable documents, but we know them now being scripture, of being divinely inspired. Now we know this as being the breath of God. Now we know this as being God incarnate in text. So we hold on to this and we show the utmost reverence. So this becomes now embedded in expression in liturgical worship. Some Orthodox churches, by the way, like obviously we don't open this up and read the Bible if that's in here, but in some Orthodox traditions, they, they hold this like massive golden box and they, that's the gospel that they would read from in the services. We don't do that, we read from an iPad, but that, that some Orthodox churches do that, right? And I want to share with you one thing that I love. If you'll notice in, 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 the, in the Coptic Orthodox tradition, the priest will hold this gospel. There are many things, but I'm not going to bore you with all the different expressions right now. But one thing I love is the priest will hold it and place it on his head right before a gospel is read. And, we, and, and what, is, what is a priest saying? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're saying this is Jesus in text. So blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Bless, O Lord, a reading according to blank X. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So we're saying, this is God in text. This is the breath of God. So I'm saying, we are all under his authority of the word, including the priest. So we're saying, we're putting this on the priest's head, saying, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. We're about to read his word. We're about to abide in his word. We're about to have communion in, in this timeless document, which now we know as being holy scripture. But we put it over our head to remind us that I am under the authority of this reliable document, which is the breath of God. As we read these documents, they transcend just documents. And the word, the Greek word, evangelion, is now it's good news. Like when you read the end of St. John's gospel, and I always tell people, if you are like having a hard time getting into Bible reading, you want to, maybe you did a lot when you were a kid, but like it's harder and you get older or busy, that's fine. Begin with the first eyewitness account of St. John. And begin there. And then by the end, you'll see as St. John ends saying, You'll, you'll realize, man, this ain't just a document. Like, this is life. And that was the entire agenda of St. John to write in the way he did. What on earth are we trying to get to for the next four upcoming weeks and in life group and our discussion on this topic? I want to share with you the words of a fourth century bishop by the name St. John Chrysostom. He said these words, the holy scriptures were not given to us that we should enclose them in books and look nice and collect dust on our nightstand just thinking the blessing of the book will just kind of like rub off on me somehow. No, the Holy Scriptures were not given to us that we should enclose them in books, but that we should engrave them upon our hearts. 
regardless of where you stand on your view of the Bible, what if there is something more in it for you and me in which so many people have paused their life and did a full investigation of it because it changed their life? What if there's something more than just dry text and I don't get what this means. Maybe there's a different pair of eyes, a different lens in which we need to view these historical texts in order for us to find edification in it. What if there is something more in it? And it is totally fine if you're at a point of saying, I don't believe it. Totally fine. Embrace the uncomfortable question, what is it? I want to, sleep, I want to leave you with this. When we read and chant this reliable document, Holy Scripture, in liturgical worship, we say a prayer before we read. There's always a prayer before the prayer in orthodoxy, right? There's always a prayer before the prayer before the prayer. There's preparation before the preparation. That, that's just how we roll. So there's a prayer before we read the gospel. And the church makes it very clear for us not to just jump into the gospel, but we treat it with the utmost reference. We venerate it. We kiss it. And this is the prayers that the church gives us before we abide in this sacred document, reliable document, which ends up becoming sacred text. We pray these words. It's called the litany of the gospel. There's two versions of the litany of the gospel. This is the second one. Oh, Master Lord, Jesus Christ, our God, because you are God. You're not just Jesus. You are God in a body. Our Master Lord, Jesus Christ, our God, who sent his saintly honored disciples and holy apostles into all the world. Why did you send them out throughout the world? That they may preach the good news, the gospel of your kingdom, and teach all nations, regardless of culture, race, gender, language, to teach them your true knowledge. We ask you, our master, we want to continue what you gave. We want to continue that continuity. We want to continue that handing down. We ask you, our master, we call you master because we are beneath you. We ask you, our master, open not our biological ears to hear the text. Don't just open our eyes so we can follow the PowerPoint and get on the case of the deacon if they don't click right away. We ask you, our master, open the ears of our hearts to hear your holy good news. What if it, what's required of you and me? It's not just to open our biological ears and to hear it and read and be like, I don't get it, I'm done, or is that enough, I'm done. I read a verse on Instagram, done. No. What if we need to open the ears of our hearts? What does that mean? We'll talk about that more over the next few weeks. The prayer continues. And open the senses of our souls. And here comes our, our title for this series. Open the senses of our souls. And may we be worthy, not only to be passive hearers, but also to act, to execute, to take action according to your holy commandments through the goodwill of God, your good Father. So this preparatory prayer before the gospel reading, what is the church telling us? For us to just say, man, okay, I need to really focus. I don't want to just hear this text. I don't want to just hear this reliable document, which is scripture. I don't want that. No, I want to make sure that I take action. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit just give me that itch within me. Make me a little bit uncomfortable. What, what is in this timeless document that's in there to give me edification in life right now? What's my next step of being a follower of Jesus? I want to make sure I'm not just a hearer, but I'm a follower. So I pray that we can open our senses through the next four weeks, through our life groups as we continue to discuss what on earth is the complexity 
of this library of books that we titled the B-I-B-L-E. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, somehow, throughout the centuries, you have preserved an amazing collection of, of history, of wisdom, of poetry, of prayers, and you have collected all of that and preserved all that for us to have life in it centuries later. Lord, I pray that, that we can take one baby step at a time for us to be able to embrace the richness of your Bible that gives us life. Lord, I pray that wherever we might stand right now is our view of the Bible, that I pray that through our discussions in life group, through the remainder of the series, that it allows us to just take one step for us to, to walk in the steps of St. Luke, a physician who did his investigation, for us to walk in the footsteps of St. Mark as he is interviewing Peter to write down everything as we walk in the footsteps of St. John as a first eyewitness, for us to come to the end of finding life in, in, in the Bible, for us to, to see you in a new way. Lord, we ask that you bless us throughout this great fast, for us to not let this journey of, of, of the season of the churches pass by, but for us to walk with you now, leading to the cross, leading to us overcoming death by your death. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.